Hey church, uh, glad you can join us today. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 is our text. James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. We're now in part 12 of our series, Faith in Action. Again, James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. In last week's text, verses 7 through 10 of this chapter, chapter 4, the message was on overcoming worldliness, and we learned that the cure for it, how to overcome it, was intimacy with God. Say that, intimacy with God. And James in the text laid it all out for us and gave us steps on how to have intimacy with God. And he gave us a clear, excuse me, he gave us clear imperatives that demand decisive action. Hopefully you remember the points from the text. It was resignation, resignation. Verse 7a says, submit yourselves then to God. Then it was resistance, resistance. Verse 7b, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then reconnecting, reconnecting. Verse 8a, come near to God, and he will come near to you. And then repentance, repentance. Verse 8b, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then remorseful, remorseful. Verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then reducing, reducing. That was in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. So we learned that humility leads to intimacy. Humbling ourselves, listen now, humbling ourselves is when we admit our own sinfulness and unimportance. Unimportance. In other words, realizing that we're nothing without God. And it's there that we experience and enjoy intimacy with God. Now after all that, guess what? Guess what? James now turns our attention to the tongue. Say the tongue. And he comes back to the tongue issue, and he already dealt with that back in chapter 3, verse, verses 1 through 9, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, exhorting us the dangers of this two-ounce muscle in our mouths. Very small, but very powerful, and so powerful that it directs our lives, it can destroy the lives of others, and it displays who we really are. So James revisits the tongue issue because he knows that the tongue can either build up or tear down the local body of believers. The title of my message today is The Critical Heart. Say that, The Critical Heart. And here in the text, James, what he's doing, he's confronting those who are judgmental, those with a hypercritical heart. Now, before we get into the text, I want to make uh, something clear to, to all of you here. Okay, something clear. The Bible tells us that we Christians that we Christians have a duty to make judgments. I'm going to say it again. The Bible tells us that we Christians have a duty to make judgments. So I want you to follow me here. In, in John chapter 7, verse 24, John 7, verse 24, Jesus said, Stop judging by mere appearances and make, listen to what he says, and make a right judgment. Make a right judgment. And what Jesus is saying is you can make an evaluation of someone if you know all the facts and circumstances. And this is what he calls a righteous judgment, to judge correctly. We are also to exercise, follow me now, exercise judgments regarding false doctrine. Judgments regarding false doctrine. Matthew 7, write it down, Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through through 20 says this, watch out for false prophets. Did you get that? Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By this is what he says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Did you get that? By their fruit you will recognize them. Don't people, excuse me, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Listen to what he says again. This by their fruit you will recognize them. In 1 John, 1 John verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, 1 John 4, 1, we are told to test the spirits. Got that? To test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Galatians, Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. Galatians 1, 8 and 9 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, Paul says, let him be eternally condemned. Wow. As we have already said, so he's going to repeat again. Now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Second John. Write that down, 2 John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. 2 John 1, chapter 1, verses 10 through 11 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Wow. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Those are heavy words. We are also to judge sin among believers. I'm going to say it again. We are to judge sin among believers. Write this down. I don't have time to read it to you. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3, 12, and 13. Verses 3, 12, and 13. And also 2 Thessalonians. Write that down. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Galatians 6, verse 1, we are given the responsibility of correcting a fellow believer who has fallen into sin. And then we are to pick them up, hold them up, and then build them up. Listen, friends, sin should be called sin. And I want to say this, James is not saying for us not to expose sin. In fact, friends, we should expose sin. We should deal with it appropriately but we need to make sure that it's with a righteous intent, with a righteous intent and not with a malicious intent. As believers, if you're safe, say amen. As believers, we are to exhort, admonish, correct, and instruct one another. Now remember, James confronted the believers about listening and doing, about favoritism, about their faith, about the tongue, about, uh, en- about envy and selfish ambition, about worldly wisdom, about quarreling and fighting, about flirting with the world. And he also rebukes the rich. Now, I want to say this. When some believers, some believers are confronted about their sin, they are so, so quick to quote Matthew 7.1. Matthew 7.1 says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. Well, they fail to read the rest of the text, okay? They fail to read the rest of the text where where we are told to get the plank out of our own eye first so that we can remove the speck from our brother's eye. And if you continue uh, to read the rest of the chapter, Jesus also commands us not to throw your pearls before swine. He's talking about people, not pigs. Got it? And then he goes on to warn us about wolves and sheep's Clothing. So obviously, to obey those commands, you have to make some judgments, right? You have to make some judgments. So is James telling us to ignore all of these commands? No, he's not saying that. We must make judgmental decisions about false teachers, about sin in the lives of our fellow believers. 
You see, friends, as Christians, as Christians, we need the exhortations and admonitions of one another. And when we sin, listen, when we sin, we fall astray. We need someone, listen now, to confront us and correct us of our sin. We need someone to exercise discipline in our lives. Now listen, it's okay. It's okay to say uh, to say what one should and should not do. It's okay to say that's right and that's wrong. To stand firm, to stand firm in our convictions and call evil what is evil and good what is good. Now listen, God has given us his word. Say his word, okay? His word and calls us, calls on us, excuse me, calls on us to discern between good and evil. Now, the world doesn't like it when we stand up for what's right. They don't like it, right? And and they say, you're being judgmental. No, we're not. No, no, we're not. We're discerning between good and evil. We're exercising good judgment. Now, I want to stress that we are to exercise, excuse me, exercise judging someone. In other words, to be discerning with regard to his or her character or teaching or to evaluate spiritual maturity or doctrinal views of ministry or about sin or false teaching. You see, friends, we are to exercise discretion or judgment to evaluate a person's actions biblically. Biblically. So James is not saying to go into judgment autopilot and never evaluate anyone uh, or their actions from a biblical point of view. He's not saying that. Listen, church, James' main concern in the text was the proud, arrogant, self-righteous attitude that would cause a believer to think that he or she could talk down to another believer. And James is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. His concern was with those who were judging, get this now, were judging wrongly. They were judging wrongly by criticizing other believers out of a jealous, out of jealousy, excuse me, bitterness or selfish ambition rather than seeking to build them up in Christ Jesus. And he's telling us to avoid slander, to avoid gossip, to avoid criticism and harsh words that can damage our relationships, our homes, and also our churches. Again, listen now, again. He's talking about a believer with a hypercritical heart, someone who is a fault finder. And guess what? Pride, say pride. Pride is a driving force behind it. It's pride in the heart. It's an attitude of the heart thinking that we're better than others. Now listen, friends, okay? It's one thing to humble ourselves before God. It's another to put ourselves above fellow Christians. Now if you're saved, say amen. If your motive is jealousy, if your motive is selfish ambition, rivalry, pride, or hatred, listen now, then you are judging wrongly. You are judging wrongly. It goes all back to your motives. It goes all back to your heart. And you see, James realized that our attitudes, our attitudes are not always as they should be, especially in regards to others. And there are times when we express those attitudes. Listen, friends, we will eventually speak what's in the heart. So first we're going to look at the problem, say that, the problem of a critical heart, and then the cure, the cure for a critical heart. So the problem, if you already say yes, three points. The problem is this. Number one is it elevates us above others. It elevates us above others. Others, write that down. Again, it elevates us above 
others. Look at verse 11a with me. Verse 11a. James writes, Brothers, do not slander one another. Got it? Do not speak against one another. Now, I want you to notice the word brothers. Say brothers. Listen, every believer here at CCF and beyond CCF is your brother or sister in Christ. Now, listen. If God is your father, then I'm your brother. You're my brother and you're my sister in Christ. You're all a part of the family of God. And so James is making it very clear that we shouldn't be hurting each other. We belong to the same family. That being said, when you're about to criticize or tear down someone in the church, don't forget it's a family member. Say that it's a family member who you're speaking about. You're, listen now, you're causing damage to your own family. And James, what he's doing, he's reminding us of the family relationship, relationship, excuse me, that we share with one another. So slander, so slander is unacceptable. Don't speak against one another. Don't speak evil against one another. We must suppress, listen now, we must suppress the desire to condemn or speak evil against one another. Now in the Greek, the word speak against, the word speak against is kataleo, Kaaleo, it's K-A-T-A-L-A-L-E-O. K-A-T-A-L-A-L-E-O. It appears here in the text, also in 1 Peter 2.12, 1 Peter 2.12, and also in 1 Peter 3.16, 1 Peter 3.16. The related nouns is slander and slanderers. In the Greek, in the Greek, the word slander is Kaaalia, Kaaalia. It's K A T A L A L I A. Again, K A T A L A L I A. It appears in our text and also in 2 Corinthians 12 20, 2 Corinthians 12 20, and also in 1 Peter 2 1. 1 Peter 2 1. In the Greek, the word slanderers, slanderers is Kaaalos, Kaaalos. It's K A L A L A L A L a-T-A-L-A-L-A-L-O-S. K-A-T-A-L-A-L-O-S. And it's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 30. Romans 1, verse 30. This is my point. They all refer to mindless, careless, thoughtless, critical, derogatory, untrue speech directed against others. Now listen, friends. Slander is any form of of criticism or tearing down someone from selfish motives, from selfish motives. And you see what what you're saying, now listen now, what you're saying might be true, but the reason why you're saying it is to make yourself look good. Got it? We slander others by blatant false accusations, by exaggerations of faults that are true of them. In other words, we make people worse than they are by these distortions. We slander others by needless repetition of true faults. Now, I want you to get this. In the Greek, the word devil is diabolos. Diabolos. D-I-A-B-O-L-O-S. D-I-A-B-O-L-O-S. Diabolos. It means slanderer. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Revelation 12, 10, he is called, the devil is called, the accuser of the brethren. 
Brethren, are you getting this? He's a slanderer of the Christian. And this tells me that the devil's number one activity, friends, is to go around putting every Christian down to accuse them. So follow me here. When we slander others, got to get this. When we slander others, we're manifesting the attitude of the devil. I'm going to say it again. When we slander others, we are manifesting the attitude of the devil. Listen, friends, we are being most like the devil, most like the devil when we slander our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, when we do that, we're just doing the devil's work for him. We're making it easy for him. Now, why, why do we slander others? It's a great question. Why do we slander others? Why do we verbally run over others? Two reasons. Revenge. The first reason is revenge. You know, they hurt us, and so we believe that they deserve to be hurt in return. And friends, perhaps, perhaps, you know, we forgot what Romans 12, 17 says. Romans 12, 17 says, do not repay evil for evil. So the first reason is revenge. The second reason is a self-righteous attitude. Write that down, a self-righteous attitude. In other words, always pointing the finger, pointing out everyone's faults, okay? We, we excuse our own faults and accuse others. It's the need to elevate ourselves at the expense of others. It's the need to think highly of ourselves. Romans, write this down, Romans 12.3. If you're still with me, say amen. Romans 12.3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather, did you get that? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Many, many years ago, uh, there was a couple in our church, and, and, and I loved them, but I got to tell you, they were hyper, hypercritical, and they were quick to point out the faults in others, but failed to see their own faults. Uh, they, they were fault finders. And you know what I noticed? I noticed that they had no friends. I wonder why. I wonder why. Friends, there is nothing, listen now, there is nothing easier than fault-finding. Listen, it requires no talent, no self-denial, no brains, and no character in starting up your own grumbling business. And by the way, it doesn't pay to be a fault-finder. David H. Fink, a psychiatrist for the Veterans Administration, did a study of 10,000 people. And what he did, he divided them into two groups, those suffering from nervousness and tension, and those who did not. And as the study progressed, he discovered a critical trait. Those who suffered from extreme tension tended to be habitual fault finders. They were constant critics of the people and things around them. Now, those who were free from tension were the least fault finding. He says, harsh criticism doesn't just affect your victims. It affects you and it may be a sign that something is wrong in your life. Wow. So it elevates us above others. Number two, it elevates us above the law. It elevates us above the law. Write that down. It elevates us above the law. Now notice James begins with the command, right? Do not slander others. And now he gives a reason for the command. Look at verse 11b. Anyone, verse 11b, anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him 
In other words, uh, he's speaking about judging wrongly, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. So James is saying the Christian who speaks against the law not only criticizes their fellow believers in Christ, but also criticizes, this is now, the law of God. So I want you to follow me here. When we speak against others, what we're doing, listen now, is condemning the law. What we are in fact saying is that God's law is wrong, that the law doesn't apply to us. That's what we're saying. Now listen, slander, say that, slander is a violation of God's law. I'm going to say it again. Slander is a violation of God's law. Now, now, don't mistake this for the Old Testament law. It's not speaking of the Old Testament law in this text. Okay, so what, so what law is it? Well, it's the perfect law of liberty found in chapter 1, verse 25. Remember that? Chapter 1, verse 25 of James. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So it's the perfect law of liberty. It's also the royal law. Say that, the royal law that's found in chapter 2, verse 8 of the book of James. Remember that? Chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. That's the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of love. Now, James and Paul agree on this point because Paul writes in Romans 3, 13, Romans 13, 10, Romans 13, 10. He writes, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment. Love is a fulfillment of the law. Listen, when we're not motivated by the love of God, we become critical of others. And we stop looking for the good in them. And we see only their faults. To do that, to do that is to violate the law of love. And we are actually speaking against, this now, we are actually speaking against and judging that law, okay? Got it? We, we are actually speaking against and judging that law. And what we're saying, we're saying this, love is not necessary in this case. In other words, friends, I don't have to love my neighbor. That's a violation of the law of love. A violation of the law of love. Now listen, when, when a fellow believer stumbles or falls, we are not to rejoice nor condemn them. We are to restore, listen now, and love them. Confront the sin, yes, but don't condemn them. Restore them and love them. For almost 28 years now, God has given me and my wife Lucinda the great responsibility to care for all of you here at Cry Out Christian Fellowship. And when someone stumbles and when someone has fallen deep into sin, when I see marriages in turmoil, friends, it breaks my heart. And as your pastor, I have a, a great responsibility to confront the sin. And by the guiding of the Holy Spirit and God's Word, I help them correct the problem. But I got to tell you, it's not always easy. But I always let them know that I love them. I tell them that I love them. And no matter what they did and how they acted, or how they might feel, I tell them that I love them. So friends, let's be a doer of the law, not a judge of the law. It's a law of love. I want you to turn to 1 Peter 4.8. It's right after James, the next book over. 1 Peter 4.8. If you turn there, that'd be great. 1 Peter 4.8. 
And Peter writes this. He says, above all, I want to stop there. Above all, say that. Above all, I want to stop there because Peter is calling our attention to the priority of love for fellow Christians as a central part of the Christian faith. So he says, above all, love each other deeply. Say deeply. That word deeply or fervent, the root idea is stretched or strained. It literally means strenuous, strenuous. It's a word that, uh, that in ancient times describes a horse in full gallop, stretching and straining its muscles, or like a runner, or like a runner stretching and straining towards the finish line to win the race. It's exerting one's powers. I'm going to say that again. It's exerting one's powers to their full extent. It's giving it all that you have. It's eager and intense. So Peter is saying, when you love people, give it all you got. Give it all you got. Hold nothing back in your love for them. Love them, love them like you're trying to win the Love Olympics. I love that. Love them like you're trying to win the Love Olympics. That's loving. That's loving deeply. That's loving fervently. That's loving strenuously. You see, friends, biblical love is more sweat than sweet. It involves effort, effort, effort. Then he says this, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Did you get that? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. What he's doing there, he's quoting Proverbs 10.12, Proverbs 10.12. Now, now, what does Peter mean to cover a multitude of sins? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't mean, okay, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that love condones sin, okay? The Bible is very clear that love confronts sin. So, so let me tell you what it means. It's like this. When someone does you wrong, when someone hurts you, instead of exposing what that person has done, instead of telling others how badly you got hurt, you cover it up and you forgive them. You don't keep a feud going by retaliating or holding a grudge. If you got it, say got it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5D. 1 Corinthians 13, 5D. Paul writes, love I love this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's a great verse to memorize. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Friends, this kind of love, say with me now, this kind of love doesn't allow the shortcomings or failures of others to keep us from loving them. This kind of love doesn't expose weakness or cause humiliation. So this kind of love is a covering love. It stretches itself. It stretches itself out in order to cover. Gosh, I love that. If you're saved, say amen. When we tear others down, instead of building them up in Christ, we're not obeying God's law. We're setting ourselves above it. So it elevates us above others. It elevates us above the law, and number three, it elevates us above God. It elevates us above God. Write that down. It elevates us above God. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. If you're, if, if you're loving this and if you got it, say amen. Verse 12. There's only one lawgiver, only one lawgiver, and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, the word lawgiver is only used seven times, seven times in the Old Testament and only once 
in the New Testament, and that's here in the text. This word lawgiver, got to get this now, this word lawgiver refers to God. Say God. You see, the Christian who places himself, him or herself, above the law is attempting to place themselves above the one and only true lawgiver and judge who is God. Now, I want you to write this down. Deuteronomy chapter 32, 39. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. That's God. That's the lawgiver. That's the judge. That's him. Look at the text now. Who are you to judge your neighbor? So James is simply implying, who do you think you are by, by sitting here condemning others? Huh? Do you think you're God? If, if not, if not, friends, why do you set yourself up in God's role? That's what he's saying. Now listen, hey, there are two things we should know. First of all, first thing is this, that Listen now, he's God. God is God. And the second thing is, we're not. God is God and we're not. Now listen, there are two ways. There are two ways we can live the Christian life. We can live it by trusting God or by trying to play God. And the latter doesn't work. It does not work. You see, ultimately, God has the right to judge because he alone, say, say he alone, come on, knows the heart. He alone knows the heart. We really don't know the true motives of others. We don't. We don't, okay? Only God does. Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers of the 1800s, he and his wife had a practice of selling eggs, but refusing to give away eggs, the eggs to their chicken, excuse me, but refusing to give away the eggs their chickens laid. Even close relatives were told, if you want them, you have to pay for them. And since he had a huge church and a salary to match, some labeled the Spurgeons as greedy. And the Spurgeons accepted the criticism without defending themselves. And it was only after Mrs. Spurgeon died that the whole story was revealed. All the profits from the sale of eggs went to support two elderly widows. The critics never knew this. So here's a lesson. The lesson is this. It's best to leave our doubts about others to God. It's best to leave our doubts about others to God. God's still in charge, friends. And he's God and he knows the motives, the motives of the hearts of others better than we do. Write this down, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time, Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of men's hearts. So the problem is it elevates us above others, above the law, and above God. So now I want to talk about the cure. The cure. So I want to give you three things here. The cure, if you're ready, say yes. The cure is this. First thing is this. Examine our hearts, write that down. Examine our hearts. Write that down. Then I want you to write this down. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye 
and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. And notice what he says. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Got that? Take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Your brother's eye, excuse me. So we need to deal with the stuff. Listen now. We need to deal with the stuff in our own lives first. Friends, we need to examine our hearts to see the true condition of our hearts and allow God to make it right. I'm reminded of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm, David wrote, Psalm 5110, Psalm 5110, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Gosh, I love that. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and, re- and, and, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I'm going to read that again. Create in me a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I love that. You see, friends, our destructive speech is a sign of self-centered, self-focused, unhumbled worldliness. And that kind of speech can always be traced back to its origin, the heart. The heart. And it's pride. And hopefully what will keep us from having this judgmental, critical attitude is the mere fact of knowing that God, that God is going to judge us as well. If you're saved, say amen. Listen, anytime a critical word wants to flow out of our mouths, remember God will judge us in the same way we judged others. And friends, ultimately, we are accountable to God. I'm going to say that again. Ultimately, we are accountable to God. Okay, we are going to have to answer to God. Now, I want you to write this down, Romans 14, chapter 14, verses 10, 12, and 13. Verses 10, 12, and 13. And it says this, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brothers? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Friends, listen now. God is not going to judge us by hearsay, by rumors, or by something that was passed down. He is going to judge us, okay? Judge. He's going to judge what's in our hearts. What's in our hearts. So we must, listen now, examine our hearts. The next thing is this. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Friends, we cannot, listen now, we cannot overcome a critical heart apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We need to daily, say daily, daily be under His control, under His influence. Write this down, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You might know this by heart, but the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, right? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things, there is no law. There is no law. In other words, no law could produce that kind of fruit. But we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Take control, Holy Spirit, in my life. And finally, here we go, exercise mercy. Exercise mercy. Examine our hearts, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and exercise mercy. Write that down, exercise mercy. And look at verse, excuse me, chapter 2. 
You don't have to look at it, but you remember that in chapter 2 of the book of James, chapter 2. You can turn to it. It's up to you. Chapter 2, verse 13 says this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Remember that? And then in chapter 3, chapter 3 of James, verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy. There it is. Full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Matthew 5, 7, on the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful. Say that. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Friends, if we are, listen now, got to get this, if we are merciful in dealing with others, God will be merciful in dealing with us. Now listen, there's a principle greater than criticism, and that's the principle of mercy, the principle of mercy. You see, I will stop judging wrongly. Listen now, I will stop judging wrongly and stop being critical of others when I remember how merciful God has been to me. Amen? I want you to get this. Because God has been patient with me, I need to be patient with you. Because God has been kind to me, I need to be kind to you. Because God has been loving to me, I need to be loving to you. Because God has been merciful to me, I need to be merciful to you. We, listen now, friends, we need to show mercy because one day, if not now, then very soon, we will find ourselves in need of mercy. I want to close this message with a poem entitled, Take a Walk Around Yourself. Do not find fault with the man that limps or stumbles along the road unless you have worn the shoes he wears or struggled beneath his load. There may be tacks in his shoes that hurt, though hidden from view, or the burdens he bears placed on your back might cause you to stumble too. Don't sneer at the man who is down today unless you have felt the blow that caused his fall or felt the pain that only the fallen know. You may be strong, but still the blows that were his. If doubt to you in the self same way at the self same time might cause you to stagger too. Don't be too hard on the man that sins or pelt him with words or a stone unless you are sure, doubly sure, that you have no sins of your own. Wow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, thank you for your amazing word and thank you for speaking to our hearts today. And Father, in light of what we learned, I pray that we would examine our hearts, that if we have a critical heart, that we would allow you to, to make it right. As the psalm said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I pray that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit, that we would daily be surrendered and under the control and under the influence of your Holy Spirit. 
I pray that we would exercise mercy, Lord. That we would be reminded that because you have been merciful to us, we need to be merciful to others. Thank you, Lord, for your word once again. We love you, we honor, we glorify you. For it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, love you. See you next week.